Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. All right, welcome, everybody. Uh, This is our Digging in Life group. What we do here is talk to people who are either local experts or people who are um, just interesting, fascinating, faithful people who can teach us something based on their their life experience and um, how God is showing up in their lives. So we get to listen to one another. We get to enjoy one another's company and uh, learn a little bit about how God shows up uh, in every day. And so today uh, we are back from a bit of a summer break. And so now we are looking at um, starting off with uh, uh, one of someone who's very important to me for a couple of reasons. Um, my literal next door neighbor, uh, Beth Davis is here. Beth, I don't think you know this, but um, we're doing a series right now about your neighbors, loving your neighbors, of course. And uh, I think this is a really fitting time uh, to have, have a, a next door neighbor. Oh, there you go. So uh, we've been thinking of our neighbors, praying for our neighbors, and Beth is a very good neighbor. So we're delighted that you're here. I'll share just uh, as Zach is, of course. Also, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll share just a bit of a brief bio that Beth sent to me, and then um, we'll start our questions. So uh, Beth is a graduate of Westchester State College, uh, receiving a BA in English Education. Um, also received a master's degree in reading from the University of Delaware, and then a master of arts in religion from Lancaster Theological Seminary. Um, Beth married Jean Davis, and they had two children, Bill and Abby. Um, Jean died of cancer in 1985, and so Beth was a single mother for 12 years. Beth's children went on to college and graduate school, and so Dr. William Davis is now the CDC Director of Regional Southeast Asian Influenza and and lives with his family in Thailand. And um, Beth has gone out to visit them several times and just loves her family. I know that's, that's so, such an important part of your, your life. Um, Abigail Davis Fouth is a chemical engineer working for Gore Industries and living in Landenburg, PA. So Beth joyously taught oh elementary God. school for 30 years mm-hmm. uh, before retiring in 2012. So it's kind of our back to school episode here as it we're is. Uh, <laughs> thinking about this season of our lives. She's now married to Randy France, her husband of 26 years, and they have four grandchildren. Beth and Randy are members of the Parksburg Episcopal Church of the Ascension. There you go. So I think I got it all. We did. So Beth, thanks so much for being here. I'm wondering to start off, mm-hmm. we told, you know, we've shared a little bit about sort of your broad overview. I think I'm, I'll be curious if we could start sort of at the beginning and you could, if you could tell us a little bit about the um, your sort of early connection to God, your early sort of exposure okay. to Jesus. All right. Um, thank you for having me. And it's been easy to be with you already. So I appreciate that. And hello to everyone over there, too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was, um, my parents were Dick and Alma Thomas. And uh, I was fortunate to be born into a very loving family. Um, I have one brother, older brother. And my parents were married 72 years and uh, died in their own homes, uh, own home, like two blocks from where I lived. And um, I don't know, we had 
we ha I had a lovely growing up with them. Um, we were part of the Methodist church and um, we attended all the time. And my dad, uh, I remember him telling me about the Ten Commandments and his commandment was that he emphasized was that um, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, especially thy father. <laughs> <laughs> and so the sense of humor uh, was always part of the household and certainly part of my relationship with him. He and I were especially close, I think. We had what we called a mutual admiration society. I don't think my mother appreciated that so much, <laughs> but I was also close to my mom. Um, but I think that having a father like that, and I think of you guys as, you know, young fathers, um, for me, having a father like that, it was not hard to imagine God the Father and God um, God the Father who was not just strong, but also gentle and loving and forgiving because that was what was modeled for me through my own father. Um, and, you know, I appreciated him. He was uh, also a good provider. My mother was the homemaker. Um, a seamstress made my wedding dresses, you know, and the girls dresses and all that. And um, also made it a house that people wanted to come to our family, our extended family would come or my friends like to come, you know, so a good growing up, I think. And I went then from like two pairs of secure hands to one pair of secure hands when I got married at 19, which was young. Um, when I married Jean, and uh, I think I hadn't done my growing up, you know, before that time. I think my parents kind of protected me from a lot of things. So anyway, Jean and I um, started our marriage. We had two children in the first maybe five years, I guess. And I think that's when I did... I began to build my own self-confidence in raising, you know, and raising our children and, um, you know, kind of stepping out on my own a little bit. Gene and I were married about 14 years and then he passed away from lung cancer. So it was um, heart-wrenching and kids were eight and 10. Um, <clears throat> it was a long time ago now. Um, it was unlikely. He was an all-American soccer player from Westchester. Um, uh, but, uh, and he had smoker's cancer and had never, well, he said he gave up smoking when he was 11. <laughs> so that was before I knew him. So I don't know, I guess he had smoked one then or something. But um, I always wondered about secondary smoke, like in, even in faculty rooms, you know, in school. Um, it was not something from grade on, I remember that we had that, you know, checked out. But anyway, um, so adjusting to that new unlikely scenario um, was probably my dark night of the soul, if any of you have read about that from St. John of the Cross or many psychology books will venture there. A time when you feel really, um, because of suffering or some kind of intense suffering, you know, a break from 
a break from God, really. And, and I probably felt for almost a year and a half, God did not hear my prayers um, because there wasn't the answer that I, I guess, wanted. Um, the explanation or the uh, the feeling of that I would be okay, I think. Um, but I think that I have learned from that and, you know, from other things. I think up, up until then, there wasn't a whole lot of suffering in my life. Things were happy when I was young. I was happily married. I had these great kids. And then kaboom, you know, out of the blue. So, um, so there are many things that came out of that. One certainly was an urgency to, I realized that uh, life has an ending. You don't think about that when you're in your 20s or early 30s so much. And I felt this urgency to do something meaningful. You know, I just... Um, and not that I kept that every single second of every single day, you know, you kind of slip backwards some, but um, certainly something that was uh, compelling me. And I had these two kids, so I didn't think about not going forward. That's the one thing when you have two little kids, one in each hand, you know, you're going to go forward. You're not quite sure how, but uh, you don't, you don't give up. Well, it didn't seem like any kind of an option. Um, <clears throat> so what would I say? So I think what I saw that year was God working through people. You know, I wasn't getting it from the prayers. I wasn't quite getting it from church uh, ritual or sermons or anything. But I was getting it from people that I trusted and people that reached out and loved in in crazy ways. You know, like my kids got more Christmas presents that year than they had ever gotten ever. And it meant, you know, when you're a kid, it's great. That was that was a help. Silly things like that. And the food that came, you know, was overwhelming. I felt like people came out of the woodwork, you know, to be supportive. So um that has kept with me that God works um, not always in the ways that you expect to be, especially if it's like your go-to way of getting an answer. And God might have something else in mind. And if you just, uh, well, for me at that time, like wait long enough or uh, stay open to it. It's surprising how um, it's delightfully surprising how it comes. Um, so I also found I had a new perspective. I was uncoupled in my world that happened to be very coupled. All our friends were married, you know, uh, and they had children and, um, most friends were just fine with my new status and some weren't, some that weren't as close friends were uncomfortable with someone who wasn't married and, um, so it was very interesting, you know, to kind of walk that path and, and see what it was. And it gave me a new awareness of uh, people who are single or people who uh, have are raising their kids on their own or like I then was or didn't have a cushion like I did with my parents two blocks away or didn't have education or didn't have a job, you know, I had all those things. Um, and 
yes, I knew about those things before, but not in the same way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I felt them in a, in a very new way. And I think, um, I think it was a plus to learn that, that, um, there are many situations where compassion, um, is the way to go. And if you haven't walked, uh, that path, you may not even be aware that it's a situation where compassion would be welcome. So I kind of learned that, I think. Um, but when yeah. you had that experience, <clears throat> one of the things I am thinking about, both in terms of ministry and you know, as a yeah. parent, and I think the people here um, are people who are active in kids' lives in various ways. And yeah, that's something our church is really good at, is like caring for young people. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you, you spend a lot of time professionally with children and, and thinking about connecting with children. And so how do you talk about suffering to kids, like to your kids, yeah. to kids in general? How do you connect to kids in the midst of their suffering? I'm curious if you have any insights about, about that. Um, I don't know. The first thing that came to mind is like, well, you can through books that you read but also like we always had a class animal <clears throat> and remember um the guinea pig you know meant the world to some kids like huh. the guinea pig like when you put it on your desk just stays there you know like how exciting is that I don't know but guinea pig was always you know this wonderful pet and it had smooth hair and Three quarters of them, when you vote on the name, they got voted for fluffy. You know, <laughs> even though they weren't fluffy, I don't know. But um, you know, the guinea pig that so like not every kid in the class loved it to pieces, but there was a handful every year that just loved it. And you know, I, class pets die, and sometimes, unfortunately, during the year. And I remember the kids all writing about what they cared about about that guinea pig. There's a book called The Tenth, Ten Good Things About Barney. I think it's, it's a, a cat that dies. And we had a funeral, you know, then for the guinea pig and we buried it in our, we had a butterfly garden and, um, and we had an elaborate kind of ceremony. And I think that that's, the kids did suffer when it died. So that is one, I don't know, kid-friendly way we did it. But I can't tell you that I talk about suffering with the kids as a regular thing. <laughs> sure. You know. And yet you're such your eyes are open to the ways that, that they might yeah. be, you know, being challenged and going through difficult times. Yeah. And I, one of the things I wanted to go back to that kind of connects to this is, you know, all, I think many of us have these experiences of before and after, right? There's yeah. before this and there was after this. And for you and your family, you know, the, the yeah, death of this Jean, is a big one. was so big. And it sounds like, you know, when we tell our life narrative and we can look back and like make sense of it, we can say, oh yeah, I did gain this new perspective. Mm -hmm. And like, this, we were talking the other day about this and we said, what sometimes we have those moments and it's like a club you never want to be a part of, but now that you're in it, you start to see all the other members Yeah, <laughs> and they show up for you and you show up for them. And, yeah. and, but in the in-between, you know, the immediate after, there's this space of just sort of living. I'm wondering if you could could walk us through sort of then the next step. You had this sort of 
surprising adventure <laughs> in your life right after that, um, where you traveled abroad? Um, <clears throat> so, um, so one very wonderful thing was, uh, well, I'll back up a little bit. When Jean was sick, um, I knew that I would have to, I was off for nine years raising my kids with, you know, married to Jean and Jean worked. So I was off for nine years. And when he got his cancer, I was still not working. So my degree was in high school English. And after I had my own children, I thought, oh, I think I want to teach elementary. So Jean's diagnosed. I know that I have to go to work if his diagnosis, you know, they gave him like a year and a half to do. So um, I need to go back to school during that time and get the courses that I need. So I did. And then <clears throat> I got a job at um, Octavera. And, you know, this was God like putting me right there. And my best friend taught first grade and, or second grade. And, um, you know, I got a job and my room was like two doors away from her. So, you know, that was going to, that was going to take care of me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then what um, Zach was alluding to is, so I taught for three years at the elementary school and it, with three years experience, you could then apply for a Fulbright uh, exchange teaching position. And I got that and applied and I went to um, just Canada, but I went to Alberta. So it's like 3,100 miles driving out there with my two kids <laughs> and my dog and another best friend <laughs> who went with me um and then I taught there for a year and um I talked to Zach a little bit about this my very loving parents were like hovering over me oh poor Beth oh poor Beth and it was less, like too much <laughs> and they were doing all the kids chores and cleaning my house and I felt like I had no privacy whatsoever and we were also we needed to regroup and heal. We didn't need to just be poor, old, poor family who lost, you know, their dad and husband. So anyway, away I went. I didn't know that's why I was going away, but I went away, and uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful year. Um, certainly drew us really close together because it was all new. Um, we learned that we could, this one I said to Zach, we could live outside of Parksburg. What do you know? <laughs> we could actually live and function outside of Parksburg. And um, we said yes to everything. You know, we did, you know, I'm forgetting what that is. It's like shuffleboard curling. Uh, <laughs> you know, we rode horses. We, I taught third, fourth grade classroom, a third and fourth class grade classroom that was together. I was uh, put on plays, you know, things that I don't know, I wasn't, hadn't always done before, but I also did the very same things I did in Parksburg. I went to church, they were my friends. I taught school, they were my friends. You know, I knew my neighbors. I don't know, you, you kind of are yourself outside of there too. Mm -hmm. um, my son was 14 and you can get your driver's permit at 14 in Canada. So um, he drove the second day we were there, got his junior <laughs> permit or something. And he also learned to ski. And um, both of the kids, and I think because of this year, this experience, <clears throat> both of my kids now have big overseas components in their, um, in their jobs. Bill, of course, lives in Thailand and he's 
He's lived a lot of different places overseas. And my daughter uh, goes to Germany and goes to Japan regularly in her job or a few times a year. So um, yeah, we, we learned a lot. And my mom learned that uh, I guess we need to have boundaries, Beth, because you might go away again. So we, you know, it, it was all good for everybody. I think, you know, good experience. Yeah. And so you're a learner and, <laughs> yeah. and you're uh, committed to that. And then walk me through the, we did your bio. You ended up going to seminary. Um, yeah. Can you talk to me about sort of the nudge there, the journey to that, what it was like, what you yeah. were invested in while you were there? Um, so I went part-time to seminary when I came home, just like took a course or two. Um, I think part of it was um, I was in a church. I was a little church hopping, I think, after that. <clears throat> and I was in a church. I, I knew the people because I live in Parksburg and I liked the people just fine. But I felt a little like I um, couldn't ask the questions that I might be thinking about, that many of the answers um, were already like fill in the blank answers. So it's either God or Jesus or um, I don't know, something end of discussion. And it didn't, um, I knew there was more to it than that. So a course at a time, um, I enjoyed the people, I enjoyed the courses. And then when my daughter, um, so when we went away, she was in ninth grade and finished ninth grade. And then, <clears throat> that's not right, seventh grade. And then when she went to college, I took a sabbatical from teaching and that's when I went to seminary. And I think um, I was open to possibly going into ministry. Um, I did not end up doing that. I stayed in teaching. I think part of it, I was afraid and also felt the responsibility of the financial responsibility of those two kids are bright. They need to go to school. And what am I going to do? Just go do my own thing or something. So um, anyway, I was very happy teaching. and I just stayed with that. But um, I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things at seminary. There's no doubt about it. I remember one chapel early on that um it was the homily was all about like just as I am and I had always felt like well I can't do this until I get this course done or I can't do this until I get a certificate or I can't do this until I'm really proficient and prepared and and I think it was just a matter of either courage lack of courage you know um, but that was, that was the way I thought, you know, I should go. And that, and I remember in the chapel, the message being like, just as I am, you know, just as you are, you know, Jesus and God are accepting you. And, um, certainly they want you to do your, do your best, but, um, don't have you know, it's not a waiting game. It's like, jump in now, you know, now, now's the time. And I think that, um, it, that stayed with me. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I really was looking for, and I was happy to find 
was that there are, <clears throat> when you look at scriptures, there are uh, lenses for interpreting the scriptures. So there might be the lens of history or the lens of the culture at the time, or there might be, and having been an English major, like the lens of grammar and the lens of like literary devices almost, you know, so maybe taking it literally is missing the trick, missing the boat here. It's, there's an allegory in there. And so um, there is a truth to wrestle with and think about and find, but maybe not all the details, um, you know, quite being what you have to believe in 100%. So um, I would I appreciated that looking at things with those lenses, and it took some work. You know, you don't just guess what the history is, or you know, guess what the culture is going on. The other thing that was helpful was um, it was suggested that I visualize Jesus in my classroom. Visualize Jesus being in your classroom, or or any of you in your in your workplace. They are with the horses, you know. Yeah. And how would you welcome him? And how would he feel welcome? And what would you be doing differently <laughs> or not? You know, I don't know. It was just, it was a wonderful tool to go back to teaching with, you know. Um, so that was one of the other things. The other thing was writing. I did a lot of writing and I had kids uh, also then um, like interview older people in their lives for their story and their wisdom. And that was usually a, a kid plus parent project, you know, and uh, often the parents would come to me and say, we never knew my mom had this story, you know, but it kind of came out. And so um, I don't know, that was, that was something that translated into my classroom. Um, I had a teacher yeah. who said, um, you know, there's a lot of, of missionaries and God is calling us to mission, right? So we're all sort of going out and, and aiming to be the hands and feet in Jesus in the world. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm part of that work of being a missionary might be being a, a per-missionary, like giving people permission to that God gives us permission to dream and to be invited into the work that God is doing. And I really love what you said about this experience of, well, when, when I get to this point, then I'll do it, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'll invest in this way, or then I'll be prepared to um, sort of be used by God or to be yeah. an agent of you know, God's grace and compassion in the world. And yet sort of that um, liberation and freedom and enjoy that you have a companion in doing it right like Jesus is with you in the room yeah I'm doing it Jesus is with you in the classroom and how that can be such a helpful acknowledgement and so um you had those experiences and what how has your ministry taken shape of course in the classroom um but in today today and um in recent years yeah. what has um being granted that permission to be involved in God's activity, yeah. where has that taken you? Um, different places at different times. When I first came out of seminary, I did a lot of funerals for people, mm -hmm. for neighbors, 
people who didn't have churches um, for family. I did a lot of family. It's not the whole funeral, the eulogy, but usually funerals. Um, and I have done some, probably I've done 20 is all, you know, but, um, and again, I find that telling the person's story uh, seems to be appreciated. And also, um, you know, I think worth telling. Um, I worked as a chaplain at Lancaster General Hospital for a year, um, which was, that's a whole other raft of stories. Um, that was uh, compelling work. And uh, my kids just kind of became teenagers after that. And I felt like um, I needed to be home. You know, I worked the Saturday night shift. And I, so I did that that one year. And then the next year, I thought, well, I think I need to be home on a Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. There were a lot of, lot of things with that. Um, I don't know if I should tell a story with that. <clears throat> well, I'll tell a funny story about myself and about learning. So, you know, again, I wanted to be fully prepared and I read the log and these people needed you were to visit. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, I knew what was, there were notes. And so you knew what was going on with this man. So I thought I'd get the right scripture and get the right everything and had it all tucked in. And I was new. You have to, I was new. <laughs> and I went in, you know, and I'm sitting next to him and I start through my routine. And finally he said, oh, honey, just hold my hand. <laughs> you know, like, just relax, Beth, and just be with me, you know, be with the person. And it was such a good thing to learn in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. to just uh, be there and maybe have something in your pocket that you might want to share later or just be open to where this person is and and kind of go with it. So I don't know, learned about myself a little bit in that, I think. Um, <clears throat> what else? When I got back to church, we did, you know, I had a friend that we did women's retreats, you know, together. Um, we did labyrinth walks for a while and kind of taught courses about those and, um, did meditations, you know, kind of with that. Now it's probably, I, and I think you and I talked about from the pandemic on, like, mm -hmm. um, and you all probably had changes through the pandemic where it just, because of the isolation, there was so much time to focus. And I know our we were not meeting in person for a very, very long time at our church. We had one um, kind of founding family that <clears throat> was very resistant to getting back together. So, and we also lost a priest during that time. So we were rolling it, you know, on our own. Um, and Zoom, we talked about Zoom being like our upper room where we could meet, we were safe, we were longing for each other, you know, for some kind of connection. And um, I don't know, we even had coffee hour on Zoom. <laughs> so I think we needed it. We had, but all of our outreach, we kept doing. We had food drives. We had, uh, 
you know, backpack collections. You probably contributed to those, I think. We had coat drives, um, Christmas gifts, you know, that we bought for local kids. There's a group, I was saying something earlier to Billy, there's a PCCO, which is a group of, I think it's 17 churches in Parksburg and around Parksburg. And they run a lot of these activities that all the churches can contribute to. So all that kind of kept going. And then there was something new that was our beloved community book group. And we studied American racism, racism in America for a year and a half during the pandemic. And uh, it's like going back to college and learning so many things that I was never taught, you know, in my history. And <clears throat> anyway, there's a lot to say there, but we ended up, when we got to the action phase, we um, started a scholarship for African-American young women at Octorera, our local high school, and just gave like a thousand dollars, which isn't much, but we try if they stay in school to give them a second thousand the second year. And so, so far, our first person has gotten three years worth of thousands and our second person, 2000, and our newest person, just in June, you know, got her scholarship. So I don't know, that was kind of a good thing. Yeah, and I surprising, have, yeah. I have um, <clears throat> lots more questions, but I want to be mindful of our time yeah. and know that portions of your story might have caught glimpses, you know, glimpses of into your story might have caught your ears differently. Yeah. So I'd love to open up the floor to everybody, we can have more of a broader conversation. So our folks on Zoom, you're welcome to chime in, folks in person, um, questions or things that you'd like to talk to Beth about, feel free. I, I have, um, I can relate to um, tissue as a, as a chaplain and, um, and learning being a new chaplain. I was a nurse at Chester County Hospital for a long time. And even for the end of my career, um, I got more comfortable with um, asking patients if they wanted me to pray with them. Um, yeah. Um, I was, most people were very um, gracious and, and saying, and, and, and that was something that would please them. It always kind of threw me when one of the patients would say, no, <laughs> of course I couldn't, I couldn't understand why they wouldn't want you to pray. And one woman um, um, emphatically told me that she was, she was a Jehovah witness. And so um, we didn't pray the same way. So she would prefer that I not pray with her. But it, again, it was, it was a, um, an experience, a learning experience that you have to meet people where they are and, and really let the spirit lead you as to what's, what works for them because it's really not about you you know you're there to just be a light or, or to uh to be a respite so um so it was a little off-putting but it was certainly a learning learning experience so thank you for sharing that story i was glad to learn that early early on um <clears throat> i think what i found though um you know you had a little pin that said chaplain and um you know, there was no resume. <laughs> there was no uh, like vetting uh, exactly. I mean, I had the course and the the chaplain knew me and everything, but um, that in that role was a needed one in the hospital. 
there were many, many, many people who had heavy weights, you know, on their shoulders because of their diagnosis and what was ahead of them. And they, they may have had the comfort of extended family or some family, or they may not have, but there were things that they didn't want to burden their loved ones with. And I could see that very, very quickly that that role was a needed one. And just the pin of the chaplain was enough that someone could unload, you know, those things. It was good. Yeah, it was. It, it, also, it also gives um, believers a place to um, to unload their fears without being yeah. um, seen as or being felt like that they're, they're, they don't have enough faith or, or they're not as good a Christian so that they can unload that um, someplace where that where they feel safe and secure to be able to do that without judgment. So it's a very important role. Thank you for filling it. There are many, you know, many many different kinds of people um, with different beliefs or not or without beliefs, um, and you know, many more privileges in some people than other people have had the fortune to have. Um, I saw many different populations, heartbreaking situations. Um, anyway, yeah, that's another whole night, <laughs> I think, yeah. No, I work in a hospital and I always wonder, <laughs> okay. you know, like um, when do chaplain services get initiated? And I think it's it's almost always a patient initiated thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost never uh, you know a physician or a nursing staff initiated one. It almost feels like the patients when they request okay. when we initiate chaplain services. I don't think just recalling back, and I'm sure there are so many situations that have had conversations with patients where I could have suggested you know use of uh, you know chaplain or somebody to yeah. sort of comfort them but uh, you know we are very ill-equipped as physicians to, to do that or yeah. as nursing staff to do that so I always wonder that I always um part of the job that Saturday night was to answer calls in the ER if you were paged mm -hmm. and <clears throat> physicians would page the chaplain from the ER mm -hmm. and sometimes it was to um where there were a variety of things. Sometimes there was a problem with a child, um, maybe in an accident or something, and uh, husband and wife did not get along, were divorced, and the chaplain kind of negotiated. <laughs> and uh, the conflict resolution person, or, you know, more facetiously, like, they couldn't smoke in the same place, <laughs> you know, like this one could smoke there. And this one was furious with you when you took her to smoke somewhere else. But that was, you know, you're talking to them kind of all the while or listening to that also. Mm -hmm. One time, I don't even know how to start this, but there was an extended family involved and the <clears throat> physician called for the chaplain because a baby had died. And uh, a teenage girl uh, had, it was her baby, and maybe the baby was sick from the beginning, and this baby died at maybe three months. And 
many, many, many relatives came almost like the wake was in the ER. You know, there was a room there and they were holding the baby and passing the baby around. Some had not even seen the baby. It was just, it was very jarring to me, but you're in it. You know, you have to do something. And um, I tried to figure out who the matriarch was, you know, and that's the one. And some of them went to get something to eat and I dealt with the matriarch and that was all good. And then there was one young girl who was the younger sister of the mother who was angry. She did not want me to take the baby. She did not want me to follow any suggestions. And I found out, you know, I said, did you help a lot, you know, with, and I knew the baby's name and I don't remember. And she said, yes. And she had taken care of that baby a lot when she was home from school. And she was just having the hardest time, you know, breaking away. And once she got to talk about that enough, um, you know, then there, and she was able to separate. But, you know, you just don't know what people are going through unless you open yourself up to listening. <laughs> um, I would not have, I mean, someone tell me about that situation, I would not have quite known until you were kind of finding your way around and through it. And it was a couple hours worth of, you know, visiting with them. And yeah, one of the big messages <clears throat> that um, just is permeating our culture and I think is well intended is this message of self-care, right? That we ought to take care of ourselves. And, and that's so true. Like we we can't burn ourselves out and we need to be sure to take care of of. Um, building practices that help us. But what I hear in your story again and again is like this community care, the way that the community showed up in the time of need. Yeah. And that, that that communal connection is what sort of buoys and carries people through. And I just, and that's just really striking to me about your ministry and the places you've, you know, been called to and showed up to is it's this it's this it's in the community itself. Yeah. I don't have a question about that. It's really beautiful. So I don't know say that. I, um, I feel like later, as I've gotten older, I realize about the flow of God's love. And, you know, I remember early thinking and ha and people talking about, oh, you do this good deed, but then you just do it to get points, you know, to get to heaven. Or I don't know. It doesn't, it's really not like that at all. You know, the flow of God's love is just, um, I don't, it's like a relationship, you know, with the person, maybe you're helping, but you learn so much from them in the helping that you don't kind of, I don't know, it just is, it's just part of the flow. And the love that's flowing around, you know, isn't only from you, that's for sure. And if you think it is, you're, you miss half of it, you know, um, and that, the pandemic certainly sharpened that up for me. Um, not that I wasn't aware of it somewhat, but it brought it into focus. I think that connectedness is, um, is pretty important. I wasn't familiar with your denomination. Yeah, but I, I grew up... Um, Methodist, yeah, I was in a Baptist church for a while, <laughs> and happy there, 
I did my field experience from a seminary actually in the Baptist church. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, yeah, I ended up at the Episcopal church. I've been there. So for folks unfamiliar, what's that like? What are the emphases? If we show up on a Sunday, what happens? At the at the Episcopal oh, Church. Yeah, what's different? Uh -huh. what's different? You know, tell us about that. Well, it's a small church. Um, we have more probably um, ritual like a Catholic church does. Mm -hmm. But um, in an Episcopal church, you can discuss pretty much anything. Um, probably it varies from priest to priest or congregation, you know, mm -hmm. parish to parish. But um, you don't, even if your brain's just medium like mine is, you don't park it at the door. You bring it in <laughs> and you bring in your life experience and you, you know, examine the scriptures and read current things, you know, that are theology books, whatever. Um, yeah. And study together and ask your questions and uh, wrestle with the faith so that you can grow, you know. And our church has a lot of outreach. Um, we, you know, we had this uh, youth center called the Parksburg Point. And so we do dinners there at the point. And now we probably have 12 or 14 people that'll go with us, you know, to do that. So congregations, like, I don't know what it is, 60. <laughs> but, you know, it's an active, it's an active congregation. So it's inclusive for sure. Um, you know, you're welcome. Communion every time? We do. Yeah, that's a lot of communion. Yeah. Of communion. I know. Method is what well, we have at one order, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one some quarter. We do it once a month. Yeah, yeah we do it once mm -hmm. a month. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't. <clears throat> Can you yeah. tell? Um, this is like my uh, I grew up church <laughs> hopping. And yeah. So the what I loved church hopping. <laughs> I loved like going yeah. with whatever friend who was going to church. I loved the whole church. Quaker church too for a couple of years. I love the Quakers. I do too. So just like love hanging out with everybody. <laughs> but where I got nervous every time was communion. Okay. Because everybody did it differently. And how do yeah. they do it? And who can take it? And how do they serve? Oh, it? everybody can take it in the Episcopal Church. It's not. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. The There's difference between the Catholic that. Church does I, Catholic. You have yeah. to do your first Holy Communion. Something. Yeah. And if you don't want, you can just, you know, not right. have it, but you're welcome to, yeah, you're welcome to have it. I don't know. I think maybe yeah. once a week's a little much for me too, but <laughs> if I'm honest, but you know, it's okay. We laugh because with the ritual, you can, you know, if you have other things to pray about, you can just like zone out because it's going to, you know, the ritual is going to end up at the action point pretty soon. And right. then, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah, good. Uh, folks on Zoom, I want to be mindful if you have anything, you can feel free to chime in. No pressure to, but don't want to forget about you. Uh, very nice to have all of you. Well, I can throw you uh, just a lot of softball. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about right now about like, being a good neighbor. Right? Yeah. Good yeah. Neighbors, right? so, like, yeah. Tell me about like just what being a good neighbor looks like to you, like as a human and as a Christian, being a good neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. I think I could be a better neighbor in a neighborhood. <clears throat> I think you're a great neighbor. I know. <laughs> um, I guess showing up, you know, like you do for a friend when when you need to, listening, um, I don't know, laughing together a good mm -hmm. bit and asking about each other's you know, day. We're going to do from church, 
um, this thing with the Bridge of Hope. Do you guys know about that? That we do. We work do you do that? Yeah. Okay. Do you do neighboring with yes. the Bridge of Hope? We do. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, we're just starting that um, uh, in October, I guess. So, um, and we're hoping that the neighboring involves. I don't know. You can tell me. Just finish ours yeah. a month ago. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And your person, like became more independent or helping uh, to finish it i guess uh yeah they decide with with their counselor when it's tough when they're ready yes. to graduate okay so so what kind of things did your group do as neighbors with him or her uh yeah it was, it was i mean i think it's it was the small things and the big things right so we're like uh checking on text like just how you doing how's your day going did you, you know uh, yeah if, if there was like a test that she had like we follow up on that birthdays like we would send cards Yep. We would get together at the park. Um, they had a, a kid uh, similar to my, my kids, so we would do it all nice. together. So it was the small things, it was bigger things. Barb and Boyd were particularly active there. <laughs> They're uh, also a uh, neighbor part of the group. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. It was a good thing. Yeah. Maybe we'll see you at a, of that. <clears throat> Maybe you yeah. will. And yeah. do you think that the relationship will continue with that person, with some of you? Maybe or not? I always wonder about if you really, yeah, yes, are intentional think, about forming yes, a relationship. Right, it does require <laughs> intentionality. But she said, like, I haven't really let my guard down to like strangers like this in a long time. And that, you know, she's like, please, let's keep in touch. Like, let's go to the park. Uh, let's, yeah. So, uh, like, I know my wife's texted her now. Maybe Barbara. Yeah, we've we've like, been yeah. staying pretty connected. Um, she. Um, the the mom that, um, of the, the family, she's a single mom, and um, she will periodically just, just this week, she sent me a text that I'm thinking about you guys and wondering how you're doing and are you back from your trip and, um, you know, eager to, to get together again. So some of those times are kind of hard to to organize because she's got a lot. Yeah, she's got a lot going on in her life. So um, one of the things that um, hopefully you'll learn, because it took us a little while to learn, is it really is... Um, uh, you have to have patience, you have to have grace, and you have to listen mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. um, and, and sense okay. where, where you're needed without being the, um, the, the rescuer, the savior, you know? Yeah. 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 Let them guide a lot of, of what, what, what they need and, and what's helpful. But it's, I, I think, and I think Ryan will probably be, um, and Heather will say the same, that we, I think we learned as much from you know, our mom is our neighbor as, as, as she learned, learned from us. Yeah, so. I'll bet. But the aspects that you pointed out earlier of, of just showing up, mm -hmm. some of it was showing up to help her move from Westchester to Coatesville. And mm -hmm. that was a multi-stage process uh, that, again, taught us patience, taught us a whole lot of things. And yeah. the other you said, we're supposed to be here at nine o'clock. What do you mean you're not here at nine o'clock? You haven't even left it. It's nine thirty. So we sort of had to learn. <laughs> learn different, the different time schedule yes. for her than us, and uh, the urgencies were different. Uh, but being present with, like you were talking about as a chaplain, you know, just mm -hmm. being with someone and holding the hand. Not that we were physically holding hands, but the being present with at times. We didn't have to have answers per se. And we could be social, and, and uh, that that seemed to lend more to the process than anything, yes. rather than specific action-oriented tasks. 
which I think we were ready to jump in and do, but it wasn't about that, except for the move, I guess. But knowing that she could, um, again, just text and say, was thinking about you, how are you doing? And, you know, responding that I think helped build a lot of trust that she was really struggling with. Um, okay. So, Okay. Our congregation sound kind of similar. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. The food ministry in size and the in size and outreach. Yeah. The amount of people sure. that participate in. So. Do you have a lot of? No, we probably have the same size, like seven. But I mean, do you have a, a large percentage that are active? Yes. Yeah. So do we. Yeah. 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 We had a revolving door of priests. Um, and we went to half time, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now. <clears throat> and they would stay about two years. I've been on more search committees. <laughs> um, but we had this wonderful guy now and his wife who retired. He's 60. Um, they moved from their uh, home in the main line to Parksburg of all places and bought new construction and have made a commitment. They're they're there and they're they know more about Parksburg and its surroundings than all of us. You know, they're just finding out and uh, being part of it. It's we're really grateful for them. So um anyway, but we did we wore a lot of hats in the interim parts, you know, of being lay speakers. <laughs> I did communion. I did home communions for a long time and, and visiting people. <clears throat> and so when we didn't have anyone to do communion, they just wanted me to do home communion service at the regular service, which is against like diocesan law or something. But I did it for six months. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and we were all happy with it. And then we found out like, okay, we won't do that anymore. That's okay. You know, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's, it's a great group. It's a great group of people that, um, you know, find their way together and have a lot of, have good sense of humor. <laughs> you kind of have to, I think, to survive it. But we don't have the music that you have. So I don't know. You're going to have to come sing and play for us. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Beth, you yep. are a great neighbor. And <laughs> I think that, um, just so clear that God's light shines through you. So I want to thank you for your time. I'm mindful of our of our time for okay, for you, sure. for everyone, and for those uh, doing childcare right now as well. All right. Um, so I just want to tell everybody that uh, next month we'll hear from um, the founder of a different nonprofit, uh, not Bridge of Hope, but Bringing Hope Home. Okay. Um, and so they're a group that does work with um, folks who are experiencing cancer and. Um, uh, helping them with odds and ends, all kinds of things. So we'll, so we'll get to hear from, from them uh, in October. So we'll send out information about that. Um, but before we go, um, we'd love to pray uh, for you and, and for everyone as we think about uh, being good neighbors. Holy God, thanks for this time. Thank you for, um, for Beth and the way that she showed up and the way that you've shown up in her life and shown up in others' lives through her. God, we pray for each of us uh, that you will continue um, to... Uh, Remind us that we have permission to show up for those in our community uh, and in our workplaces, our schools, all the places that, that we go, and to know, God, that you are there also. It's in your name we pray. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.